Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, Bulls Nation? Welcome into the CHGO Bulls Podcast. Coming to you live from our downtown studios here West Loop in Chicago. I am Matt Peck. You can follow me on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck. Joined by my guys, Big Dave Bow, BWL Sports, and Will the Go Gottlieb, Will underscore Gottlieb. We are CHGO underscore Bulls, and we are thrilled to be joined today by our guest, Terrence Oglesby, former pro basketball player over in Europe, played Clemson Tigers basketball in college, currently a college basketball analyst for pick one ESPN Fox Sports <laughs> CBS Sports Bally plus the field of 68 network where he was speaking very highly of one Julian Phillips recently yes. and that's why we have brought him on to chat with him primarily he was an AAU coach for Julian Phillips when he played on the upward stars ladies and gentlemen welcome to the pod Mr. Terrence Oglesby what's hey. up Terrence hey. that's one of the nicest introductions I've ever had so thank you one I haven't like I told you off air I haven't done NBA stuff in a long time so so this is a great way to kind of get back into it. And hey, I had the Bulls starter jacket when I was coming up in third grade. So I think that's important, uh, you know, as we move forward. And I see yeah. a Pistons shirt and I'm a little, that's, that can't be oh, right. Oh, it, so, is, it is not. Let, let him tell you the story. So here's what it is. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing you watched the last dance when the rest of the world did when COVID shut down the rest of actual sure. sports being played. And when they are recounting, finally sweeping the Pistons in 91 on the way to their first championship, at one point, the camera cuts to Horace Grant, who just takes a big, heavy sigh and says about the Pistons and their walk-off, straight up bitches. So if you look closely, it's a Pistons logo, but inside it doesn't say Detroit Pistons. It says straight up bitches. Shout out to Horace Grant, who was here a couple weeks ago. I live in South Carolina. He was here not too long ago. So Yeah, he was just... At Bulls Fest uh, this past weekend. Bulls fans still adore Horace. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the first one to be confused by it, though. A lot of our viewers are like, why is Peck wearing a Pistons shirt? I love when people are confused by it because then he has to explain it. And that's always the fun part for me, sir. (laughs) To just watch him say straight up bitches over and over again is always fun. Yeah, true, true. Now, Horace (laughs) was down in Clemson not too long ago. I live in South Carolina, so... Uh, he was down here for kind of a, what they call it like an orange and white weekend or something. And, and he came down and, uh, it's the first time he's been down in a while. So man, what a career he had. He caught some, uh, unnecessary flack, uh, in, in, in that documentary. But I actually thought it was funny because of the way he tried to deny some things. I was like, Horace did that shit. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what he's denying, but he, whatever it is, he did it. He did it all. <laughs> 
He was the second gunman on the grassy knoll when it came to Sam Smith's book, The Jordan Rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And I played I played with his nephew, Jerry right. Grant, who's gosh, I'm 35 now, guys, and it, it hurts to say that, but like Jerry's still playing. Like he's mm-hmm. playing in Ukraine and Russia and all these places. And he, you know, Harvey had four kids, all of them really good players. Uh Jeremy just signed a billion dollar deal or something with Portland. Yeah. So yeah. Good on the Grant family, man. I got it. You know, I, my dad was six eight. He married short. I got screwed. That's why I ended up here. <laughs> there you go. But, but you had the heater, though. You had that. You had that gunner. So at hey, least you that got that. Never leaves. That, yes, that sir. One never leaves. I absolutely thrashed church league. Absolutely yes, cut it up. Yes, sir. Right to get you with, with Will, Will Gottlieb over here, sir. That's be my two-man team, my two shooters right here. I, I can promise you I'm nowhere in the same stratosphere. <laughs> you'll be open. I promise you'll be open. I will though. be open. You'll be open. They're going to guard you. You'll catch the triple teams. There you go. I'll be in the corner waiting. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into your thoughts on Julian Phillips, and I can't wait to talk to you about Julian, I am curious to hear more about your career. You know, obviously uh, did very well for yourself at Clemson and then went on and played many years overseas and and in a bunch of different leagues in a bunch of different European countries. Was Was there one of those leagues in one of those countries where you not only enjoyed the basketball you were playing, but really enjoyed the culture and soaking up the culture of where you were? as someone playing international basketball uh you know what i played you know i started in italy went from italy to ukraine ukraine was rough i was 20 it was pre-civil war but the buildings from the soviet union uh collapsing they were still dilapidated and falling down so like there were still remnants of that but there was still unrest so people were still uh, on edge a little bit that was tough uh but the further north i went typically the better off it went i met my wife who's you know, right there in that picture, uh, I met my wife in Sweden. I would say Sweden was my favorite spot because let's be honest, it was probably the most modern. My internet worked consistently and uh, I had two of my best years playing there. But, you know, I played in France and Georgia and Spain. Uh, Republic of Georgia was one of my favorite places because the guys there were such nice guys. You see some of the Georgian players come over and their university universally loves. Zaza Pachulia is one, Shingali is another, just great dudes. And uh, that it reflects on their culture in a positive light because there's so many nice guys come from there. I'm going to do my best in order to go back and visit there once uh, every other summer. I go back to Sweden anyway to visit the family. And then I'm going to try to make my way down a little bit further south to see them as well. But uh, just a lot of different places. And you know what? When you're in college and you're 20 years old and you want everything right away, the, the hardest thing to do, and you guys can attest to this, is enjoy where you're at, right? Because you, you always thinking you're, if you're goal oriented, you're always thinking about what's next. Uh, w- when I got to be and have my best years in Sweden and I was MVP in Georgia, like it was because I was enjoying the hell out of where I was at. So if I had to pick two, I would say Georgia and Sweden. But if I had to pick one, it's going to Sweden for sure. Mm. And, and as Matt touched on, man, like you, you were no half stepping when you were playing here in the States, sir. Like all time leading scorer at Bradley Central in high school. Uh, oh, the man. two seasons at Clemson, you were, you were leading the team, what, in three pointers made, three point percentage. In the sophomore year, you led them also again in three pointers made and free throw percentage. Career 39% from three, you know, a 10 year professional career. Like it was no half stepping with what you do. And, to leave college and to go overseas to play says a lot about, you know, your love for the game. Like, what gives you that kind of love for basketball? 
you know what my dad played professionally as well he played in norway he played in poland the netherlands a couple of different places and just being around and having positive experiences and going back to what you, you know i you alluded to me leaving early one of the reasons that my dad he was like who's recently deceased it guys go for it like go for it like you're going to have opportunities in life you you, you have some somewhere to fall back on uh, you're going to be able to finish school because clemson had this uh, thing in place to where if you leave after two seasons they'll honor your scholarship i came back and finished i, I really went for it so for me to really make that jump uh, it didn't work out how i wanted to it, it's not all roses right like i i had some times i got cut uh I, I went to the g league for a year i was horrible in the g league like not good and it, a lot of that's circumstantial i'll make I'll, I'll insert excuse right here a lot of it's circumstantial <laughs> all that being said i mean i i was very fortunate to be in a position to where i could really go for something and after i went over there to italy uh i was there for two months didn't get paid once went to the bank and they thought i was trying to get over on them so like they they thought that i was trying to bring money out the money never showed up and they thought that I was trying to pull a prank where it was me that they hand me a fake bank receipt and they're like, you can go get your money uh, on your way home. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I, I, to, to answer your question, though, really, uh, I, I was in the position to where I could really go and uh, try to live out my dream. And I didn't get to where I wanted, but I got close and I was able to play for, you know, seven, eight, nine years, however long it was. And, and uh, I'm very thankful and very happy and I met my wife. So that's all good. <laughs> I'm curious. So a lot of times people say they just like go overseas to play basketball. Um, and, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that's like maybe a little bit of, you know, it's a different path to the NBA or just like a separate path entirely. But I'm curious, like, what is the actual process of finding a team in another country because that just like going to college and then to the draft it seems like kind of a natural progression but when you're talking about going to a country that you've never been to before do you have like an agent that's helping communicate with other teams do you go there and try out and just like walk into a gym like what's the actual inside baseball story there so after my freshman year in college and I had a good year, I think there were five guys that were picked for all freshman team. They didn't have 10 like they do now in some some leagues. I, I was number six. And if you want to go back and look at, you know, 2008, all freshman team in the ACC it was pretty good. And then my lonely ass was there number six, the only other guy to get votes. Uh, but after that year, I have Norwegian citizenship because like my like I said, my dad went over and played for a while and uh, we played in the European Championships under 21 and I led it in scoring by a significant margin. I think it was six or seven points. After that, agents came calling, and then basically one thing leads to another. Agents are kind of the intermediary, and then it kind of sees how it goes. So I ended up switching agents after that guy sent me to Italy and I didn't get a dollar. So ever since then, I kind of hung around a, a guy named Andrew Vai, who was my agent for the next six or seven years. And then I basically found the last two jobs myself. So <laughs> that's how that goes. But once you get over there and you're over there five or six years, you can kind of orchestrate it uh, on your own. But for the most part, there's agents that come into play. Agents, American agents will have contacts in Europe that they work through agents over there. And then what happens is they split commission and then agents uh, if they sign a player overseas, it's 10%. And the club pays for it, not the player. So what they do is they break it off five and five, depending on, you know, which agent is which. 
Playing for a big program like Clemson, I'm guessing in your your college career, you played against a number of guys who did eventually go to the NBA. Uh, and, you know, you said, you know, you're, you're 35. There's some guys in, in those mid to late 30s years. You know, Bulls got DeMar DeRozan having a couple of the best seasons of his career playing at that very similar age. Is there anybody who's still kicking around the NBA right now who you went up against at one point in time in your college career and you thought to yourself, that, that, that dude's going to the NBA for sure? Uh, the wings at Carolina, and for that matter, Ty Lawson, I thought would still be playing, but he's had some off-the-court issues. DeMar DeRozan and I are in the same high school class. That 2007 class, I don't know how many people know about it, but that's Derrick Rose, that's DeMar DeRozan, that's Kevin Love, that's you know Blake Griffin, you name it. I, I played against all of those guys. Uh, as far as in-conference is concerned, it, it, it just depended on the day. Jeff Teague and what that Wake Forest team, Jeff Teague and Ish Smith might be the fastest backcourt in the hu yeah. history of mankind. Like I was trying to shoot threes. They wanted me to guard in a half court. Forget it. Like, just don't, even, <laughs> just don't even bother. Uh, they were very, very good. Al Farouk Aminu was on that team. Uh, ju just a lot of really good players. And then you look at like Duke had Nolan Smith, who uh, had a cup of coffee in the NBA, ended up in Setovita in Croatia. And now he's the head assistant at Louisville. Like, there's a lot of guys that really come to mind. Uh, Solomon Alibi got drafted by Toronto in the mid first round, a seven footer right before the game changed. Uh, a lot of a, a lot of really talented people and probably the highest paid out of all of them in the ACC might be uh, Jimmy Graham, who was playing basketball mm -hmm. at Miami before going to play tight end for the Saints mm -hmm. and God knows who else. So uh, there, was a, there was a lot of talent. There was a lot of talent, no matter the sport in the conference at that point. Before you go any further, you mentioned Derek Rose, obviously. Bulls podcast here, Chicago guys. Any good right. uh, stories from trying to guard him, we'll say? <laughs> Let's put it this way. They didn't match me up on him. Uh, <laughs> so we played in a tournament in St. Louis. Uh, it was 16 and under. And I didn't play against him in college because he was in Memphis, who I think was Conference USA at the time. And Louisville yes. was in the league, too. Conference realignment, guys, giving me a headache. I don't know what's yes, going I believe on. believe it. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm still trying to keep up, but I think at the time they were Conference USA. Calipari was at Memphis, and so I didn't play against him then, but I played against him in AAU. And, uh, I mean, the layup lines for high school D. Rose were comical. Mm. And just his sheer combination of power and speed at that point in his life where he didn't put on all this extra weight, like he was just all fluid athleticism and power. And even at that age – we have this saying with college coaches and college guys, when a pro walks in the gym, you know, mm. like Derrick Rose had that kind of build because, I mean, he, he's what, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, but the shoulders are huge and how shifty he was. But he did a 720 dunk in warm-ups. And some of my guys Jesus. looked down at me and they're like, hey, boys, we might be in trouble. <laughs> it, was, it, was just, uh, it was just him and a guy named Tim Flowers who was like a 6'5 post player. The rest of the yeah, guys, yeah. I can't really remember them. Yeah, oh, yeah. But uh, but Derrick Rose, I think he had 30. I think I had 25 or 30. I was right there with him, but all mine were in the second half. So I got, hey, I got mine, but, yeah. it just, you know, I didn't impact the game the same way he did. He, he, great player. Uh, and, and in my opinion, guys, a Hall of Fame player. And, and yeah. th there's been a few guys that have been able to change the way they do things. I think Grant Hill comes to mind of guys of yesteryear. Derrick mm -hmm. Rose has done the same thing he did. I mean, he has altered his game to what his body allows. And what he's able to do and continue to do at the NBA level is amazing. Yeah. 
let me every time I talk to somebody who has played on on any level, I always ask them what was your greatest game in your opinion on on any level, your greatest game because the one when I was looking around, there were two things that kept popping up for you. Was one mm-hmm. was the game where you hit the 10 threes and then the other game where you hit the Say it again. Which which game did I hit 10? I believe it was NC State. There's a lot of threes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was another one where you hit the game winner. Uh, against Maryland and yeah. that one I wanted to ask you about also because I saw you talking about it after the game and that play was not drawn up for you no. and the shot that you took was nowhere near the three-point line and the defender was all over you and you didn't even need a three because the game was tied <laughs> but you still took that shot man so Casey what Rivers was on your mind with that <laughs> and the first thing was was like everybody in the in and their mother knew if I touched it, it was going up because I had hit some shots to like put us in position. Uh, that was a, that was a great game for a lot of reasons. One of them was we needed to get in the tournament. And there was kind of this glass ceiling with Oliver Purnell and Clemson basketball about getting into the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And I remember Cliff Hammonds and, and James James Mays and some of my teammates at that time. They were seniors and they had never been. And we were kind of knocking on the door and to be able to hit that shot, put us in the tournament, knocked Maryland out of the tournament. And that was that was all good vibes. Uh, in college, though, we played South Carolina at South Carolina. I think I had 25 or 27. That was a good game. And then uh, in high school, I went for 57 in regulation. 31 for 33 from the free throw line. What? <laughs> Stop it. Stop you, it. You were getting the that Dwayne Wade in the final treatment. My goodness. Stop <laughs> it. And that's who it was. It, it wasn't NC State. It was South Carolina. That's who yeah, it was. Yeah. It was South Carolina. Yes, that's who it was. But, dude, yeah, that's it. That was fun. That was fun. We, you know, we had a unique style. We pressed the whole time. We didn't run around a lot of sets. It was a lot of free motion stuff. And, uh, you know, I could I played it with a guy named Trevor Booker, who turned out to be a really good pro mm-hmm. and a guy named Casey Rivers, who's still playing at 37 years old, um, th- who's been a really good pro overseas. And we had talent and it was a fun brand of basketball. So that one. And then I always like to talk trash about the high school 57 because my high school coach said I ne- could never do it. So mm. I, I, I always like to refer back to that one. <laughs> Just like MJ, love proving the high school coach wrong, That's right? right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, me and MJ, me and MJ. Yeah, yeah. That's how I think of it, T.O. <laughs> yeah. Equals for short. Um, yeah. All right, let's 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 take our first break to share a couple of quick words from our friends and sponsors. Terrence is going to stick with us, and right after this break, we are going to dive in to some of his thoughts on the Bulls' newest rookie edition, Julian Phillips, what his Bulls' ceiling might be what role he could carve out for himself for these Bulls in the coming years. That's coming up next. While we are sharing these words from our friends and sponsors, do us a simple, easy favor. Hit that thumbs up button if you're watching along on YouTube. It helps us out a lot. Make sure you're also subscribed to the CHGO Sports YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Today's show brought to you by our friends at the Sunnyside Cannabis Dispensary, your home for judgment-free cannabis shopping. A place where all kinds of visitors are welcome to explore, discover, and purchase a wide array of their high-quality products. It's your one-stop shop for all your cannabis needs, no matter where you are on your cannabis journey. They offer easy online order and in-store pickup, great transparent loyalty program that they call Sunnyside Rewards. They've got everything, flour, tinctures, vapes, all that good stuff. Plus, of course, a wide variety of delicious edibles that do the job. Try my personal favorite, the Good News brand orange flavored gummies. Now, through the end of the month, head to sunnyside.shop and use that promo code CHGO25 at checkout for 25% off your total order. 
One use per customer, not stackable with their other promotions. However, it's not just for new customers, guys. What? Anyone and everyone can use that promo code CHGO25 at checkout. Pick up everything you need to elevate your summer at sunnyside.shop. Must be 21 and over or an Illinois Med card holder. Mm. Braggs, are you in the market to get yourself a new car? I'm always in the market for a new car. <laughs> That's why you're the man. That's yeah. why you're Braggs. I mean, Thank you go so many places. Thank you. You travel a lot of spots. Yeah. You got to have a vehicle that's going to do you right. A Lamborghini. New or used. No, Say I'm it kidding. again? No, I'm kidding. He got to be right, man. And the place to do that at, y'all, is Ray Chevy. He will hook you up. He will look out for you and give you the car that you and your wonderful self need. The price you see online is the price you pay with no add-on to the price ever. All right? In fact, Ray will do everything possible to find additional savings for you, which make the price lower than the one that you're seeing online. That is a fine human being right there. Mm. As one of the top-selling dealers in the Midwest, you'll always be able to shop one of Chicagoland's largest inventories and save big at Ray Chevy because they now have over 100 Chevy tracks models available. That's a hundred of them things ready to go. Starting at $21,000. That's a little bit of nothing. Just letting y'all know that is nothing. So now, through August 31st, all buyers can qualify for 0% financing. Make zero payments until 2024. You give up no money till next year. It's hard to find deals this way. Plus, no money down. You heard what I said. No money down. And the best of all, pay zero hidden fees with the Ray Price promise. You heard them. Visit Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake or RayChevrolet.com. Serving the community since 1963. Find new roads and let that road lead to Ray Chevy. Oh, that was smooth. Find new yeah. roads. I've always liked that slogan, find new roads. Yes. It's a good one. Find new roads. I, I got to put the gravel voice yeah. in there. Yeah. Find new yeah. roads. The, yeah. The, the car commercial VO guy. Yes, exactly. Find new, roads. new roads. Yes. We're rolling out along here on CHGO <laughs> Bulls with our guest, Terrence Oglesby, college basketball analyst and former coach and big-time believer of one Julian Phillips, mm-hmm. the Bulls second-round draft pick from the 2023 NBA draft. Terrence, uh... Can you just start by telling us a little bit about what it was like working with Julian uh, at the AAU level um, and uh, some, of the th- some of the things that you liked most about working with him and coaching with him before he even got to the college and now NBA levels? Uh, you know what? One of my favorite things about working with him was extremely coachable. He comes from a great family, military. Both parents have military backgrounds. Uh, Julian's a great kid. Uh, and much more willing to make the extra pass uh, as opposed to kind of just take the game over himself. We almost had to force feed him a little bit like, Hey man, like need you to be that guy. I need you to be aggressive. Now that was easy to do because I mean, he's head and shoulders more athletic than everybody. I mean, you saw his vertical test uh, and, and what he did at the combine. I mean, he's 40, that sort inches. of freak yeah. athlete. Number, number one at the combine. Wow. Yeah. Ridiculous. What was it like a 44 inch max vert? Like, mm-hmm. It's insane numbers. It's insane numbers. No, you know what? He didn't shoot it well at Tennessee. We, we could set him up for three, uh, and he would knock him down. I, I think there were issues with the way he was used in Knoxville. Uh, they had a guy named Santiago. They have a guy that's coming back named Santiago uh, Vescovi, who's my age, 
and who's a hair too slow to be the main guy on a big time SEC team. I thought that Julian should have been that guy. That might be my bias, but that also might be Tennessee struggling to win past the first round of the NCAA tournament. So, you, you know, tomato, tomato. I'm not really sure what that is. Uh, I thought he should have been featured more. I saw him play at the battle for Atlantis. This is a big time defender, long wingspan, can cover multiple positions. He is a little thin, but at the same time, guys, I, I'm not sure in today's modern NBA how much you really need to weigh, right? You need to be fluid in your hips. You need to be able to guard. You got to be able to knock down a three. He shot terrible percentages at Tennessee, but that's because he wasn't a part of anything. I think at the NBA level where the ball moves a little bit more, you're doing a lot more flow motion kind of stuff. I think he's going to be better suited for that because he'll touch the ball and he'll be a part of what's going on. That all being said, uh, you know, it's, it's a development pattern for somebody like him. You have Zach Levine, you have DeMar DeRozan, you have these superstars there. Uh, where is he going to fit in alongside those guys? He's going to have to guard some some smaller, quicker players. I think he can do that. Uh, but defensively is where it's going to be his calling card because he can guard so many different positions. When I was uh, watching your, your awesome podcast, Field of 68, and you guys were talking about Julian Phillips, the one thing you harped on a lot was the three-point shooting. And you yep. kept saying, like, no, he can shoot these threes. And you, and you specifically said he's going to go to the combine, he's going to open some eyes, he's going to hit a lot of shots from three, and people are going to talk all about it. And then when he went to the combine, he went 16 to 25. And then when you found out he went 16 to 25, you were like, yeah, he can do better than that too. So what, what is it that is giving you this confidence uh, that Julian Phillips can be that shooter? Because when Bulls fans saw that they got somebody else who shoots terribly from three, the fans were not happy about it. But you have seen something else. So what, what, is, what is giving you uh, that ability to praise him in this way? Well, he's got soft hands, and he shot 82% from the free throw line. The quality of three that he got at Tennessee was laughable. I mean, he was never a, a part of what they were doing. Tennessee kind of runs this um, – you, you know, stagger set, stagger set, all this other thing. And and I never really felt like he got the right opportunity to flourish the way he should. And if nothing else, just let him touch the ball and get rid of it again. He would go, you know, 30 seconds out of the third, or no, 28 seconds, they'd pass it to him in the last second, he'd be forced to shoot it. Don't worry about those percentages. When he's in the flow of the offense, I think more positive things are going to happen. I've seen him make shots at a high level. He's got good soft hands. It's not like the, he, he tries to catch it, and it's like trying to catch a ping pong ball with two ping pong paddles. Like it, It's not that situation. He's got good soft hands to where he's going to be able to make shots. I just felt like the opportunities that were presented to him at Tennessee – we're not good ones. Uh, somebody said on your chat, on the bottom of the chat, saying he's unbelievably raw. I'm not sure that's the case. I, I think he can be inserted a little bit quicker than people believe just because he can defend. He's not going to turn the basketball over, and he's going to be somebody that really fits into the flow besides superstars. Let's keep in mind, guys, like not everybody can be an alpha in the NBA. Like you, you got to have guys to play alongside those alphas. I think he's going to fit in magically uh, alongside those big time scores. And after he hits a couple of threes, he's going to provide enough gravity to where DeRozan and Levine are going to be able to operate. One of the things that stood out to me in some of the film that I was watching of him, um, and this has been something that's come up a little bit in just sort of like the discourse around his draft stock is a change in the mechanics from the high school level to the college level in terms of his three-point shooting. Um, you obviously worked with him at the AAU level. I'm curious, like, how, how much did you get a chance to work on his shot form with him? Did you see that same sort of thing happen where, 
you know, maybe it was his base, maybe it was the release or the positioning of the release that changed a little bit at the college level. Is there anything to that or is that just like a little bit reading too much into it? Before I answer that, who, who said that? Um, it's been in a couple of YouTube videos, uh, sure. just um, watching some scouting and then just like some clips that I've seen. My, my biggest concern with him is he does get too wide in his base. So that kind of eliminates the power that you can generate. And the NBA three is a long three, guys. I don't know if you guys have gone out there and messed around and tried to shoot 100 shots from NBA range. Way like longer it, than you think it is. And it's longer than the players a make long, it long. Yeah. It's a long three. I mean, I used to think the European three was pretty long. And then, you know, I would fire him from wherever. But now that that NBA line's so far away, like your base has to be in line. You can't, there can't be much wasted motion. I think if I'm going to pick at one thing, I think it would be that. His release and his setup is pretty compact. If you want to move it over a little bit, maybe an inch or two to the right to where he's straight up and down with his elbow, maybe. Uh, I, I'm less concerned with everything above the waist. I'm more concerned with everything below the waist, just because you have to generate that much momentum uh, in order to knock down those shots with consistency at the NBA level, because that wing three, you might as well just throw it. I mean, it's a deep, deep three. And like, he's going to have to, he's going to have to narrow up his stance a little bit just to improve on his effectiveness and to get really the trajectory that you want shooting it from that far out. Mm. I, uh, I noticed when I was listening to you discuss Phillips and his potential in one of your episodes of Field of 68, uh, and, and Will was just kind of talking about it a little bit, the, the fact that you thought his draft stock took a hit, his draft stock suffered because of his time at Tennessee, and it seems like, as you were explaining, it's because in, in your basketball uh, expertise and, and your opinion, they didn't use him properly. Just how much of a unjust hit do you think he took in the draft? Like, do you see just uh, or Julian Phillips as somebody who has the the potential NBA ceiling where he should have been a first round pick, and maybe the Bulls are looking at if developed properly finding a steal here when they traded into the second round to get him? Well, I mean, I would have taken a sh strong look in the in the early to mid twenties. Just because what does he provide for you? Immediate ability to defend, uh, every length and tangible that you need, elite athleticism. He's not this big, strong, huge guy, but he moves really well, and he's going to be able to cover a lot of space. And guys, you want to play help side defense in the, in the NBA? Try to step out and then come, come, come over and help on a roller on the weak side. Like, you have to have these measurables. He has all those measurables. I've seen him knock down shots. And let's keep in mind, too, before he was before he signed with Tennessee, he was committed to Will Wade at LSU before Will right. Wade got in all that trouble. If he would have gone there, he would have been more of a focal point. I think you would have seen better percentages because he's a rhythm guy. He needs to be a part of the action for a lot of those things to happen. All of that being said, it's easier said than done, because sometimes in the NBA, you'll go five, six, seven, eight, nine trips up and down the court before you touch the ball because DeMar DeRozan's feeling it. Some of these other guys are feeling it like they're getting the rock. And that guy right there, he's getting paid, what, $50 million a year? Get that man the ball. So you're going to have to be efficient without touching it so much. But I do think that they got a steal simply. I think his floor is Corey Brewer. Mm -hmm. I think wow. they're very, very similar in both body size. Julian's a little bit bigger than Corey. Corey's a good friend of mine. He's a little bit bigger than Corey. I think he's going to be a better shooter than Corey. And I think their defensive versatility for guarding big wings and smaller wings and some guards, too, I think uh, he's going to make a lot of sense. And I think he could play in the NBA for a long time. And uh, Fried Rice said, who's his comp? Corey Brewer is kind of who I feel like he can be.
And, yeah. and like you were saying earlier, not everyone can be an alpha when they get to the NBA level, but yeah. Corey Brewer look at that maybe one of the great role players on a lot of good NBA teams over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I view that as a positive. I don't view that as a negative. Like, right. Right. Whenever you coach, when, whenever I coached Julian, it was like we had to call sets and be like, hey, Julian, if you pass it right here, I'm going to sit you. And just his willingness to give the ball up and not be this alpha personality. You can't have everybody be like that because what happens is, is then you have guys arguing and bitching and moaning over who gets the get shots. Well, you pay certain guys a lot of money. They're getting the shots. It doesn't matter if they're hitting or not, they're getting the shots. So you have to have somebody that can play alongside that. I feel like Julian could do that for an elongated period of time in the NBA. Yeah. It's wild. Cause the players I've heard you, use as his comps are, are like Stacey Augman and, and Corey Brewer, man. Yeah. Which are incredible comps because Stacey Augman, plastic man, dog, like plastic, man. the successful NBA career he had, obviously the great career he had in college. But no, those comps are incredible. Um, what was it when you were coaching Julian that kind of surprised you that you probably didn't know about him, whether, whether it's him just as a person or just him as a player? What, what kind of surprised you about Julian Phillips? Uh, he's, he's really soft-spoken kid but he's really receptive. And a lot of times when you get McDonald's All-Americans, they're not the most receptive. Mm. Uh, I, I think his willingness to be coach is what kind of surprised me more than anything. Uh, people rave about his his personality and the kind of, I, I keep saying the kind of kid he is, as a grown ass man, I probably need to quit saying that, dude's in the NBA. So like, it, I, I just, at that time, he was a kid. He was a great kid. He listened, he tried his best to facilitate. He's extremely competitive. Uh, and then because he's soft-spoken, he hit a three over Brandon Gardner, who's, who was going to go to St. John's, who was this elite athlete. He hit a three over at him. His Somebody's mom was talking trash over on the side, and he turned around and started talking trash back to the mama. And that, shot, that, that shocked me a little bit because you, you want to see that dog come out of guys, especially at that level, right? So that shocked me a little bit. So that told me it's in there. It just doesn't come out in a verbal way. Mm -hmm. I think the Bulls would be thrilled, and really any team, to have – Six eight, six nine, athlete who can defend at a super high level and shoot threes. But do you think, and maybe we're a ways away here, do you think there's more in his game for him to be able to like get to a point where he's creating his own shot, uh, playing a little bit more on the ball? Or is that, you know, I mean, at a certain point, all these guys are so incredibly talented that of course they can do that. But uh, do, you, do you see that as being in the cards for him maybe down the line a couple years into his career where he's really starting to flex those muscles? I think there's something to be said there as a second unit guy who they can throw it to on the elbow and say, hey, get to the cup. Uh, he had one of the highest foul rates in all of college basketball last year. When he touched it, he was getting to the free throw line. And when he got there, he shot 82%. So I, I think that throws a lot in there. Uh, he plays so remarkably low to the ground when he drives to the ground, when he drives to the rim that he's able to get his shoulder on guys. All that being said, NBA is a different ballgame. I will acknowledge as much. You're going in there and you're running into Joel Embiid. You're not just running into some dude at Mississippi State, right? So uh, is he going to be able to draw fouls with consistency? I think that's TBD to be determined. All of that being said, uh, he certainly has the short area quickness that you would need uh, in tight spaces to get to the cup and to be able to get to the free throw line with consistency. That's down the road, though. I look at it now, Mr. Gottlieb, like you got to be able to get you got to be able to fit into what a team needs at the moment just so you have the opportunity to spread your wings in year two and year three. So right now I'm looking at, hey, how can he get on the floor sooner rather than later? That's his jump shot. That's his defense. 
And I think he's going to be able to shoot it better than what a lot of people uh, think of him coming out of college. Love that. Speaking of getting on the floor sooner rather than later, I do want to get some of Terrence's thoughts on how he sees Julian Phillips as a puzzle piece to this Bulls roster for the upcoming season. So we'll talk about that with Terrence on the other side of our second break to come back and wrap up the show. Uh, In the meantime, hit that thumbs up button if you haven't done so yet. Big Dave, who's next? Beer. I love beer. I know. That's what I've heard. I've heard you enjoy it. There's one. The Goose right Island in, in this green can right here. Well, that's a coincidence because that's exactly the beer company. What do you know? Ah, what do you know? Ah, one more time, Brass, because I like you. Ah, <laughs> ah, oh, Goose Island Beer Company. C-H-G-O official. We roll with them, man. So you guys roll with them as well. So many wonderful choices of beer that they have. You see Matt has chosen the Goose IPA. One, because it's delicious. But two, because it's a winner. Six-time medal winner at the Great American Beer Fest, y'all. Six of them things. And, of course. It's the MJ of beers. Oh, it's the MJ of beers. Six and oh. That's it. That's how it rolls, man. Six and oh. <laughs> the Tropical Beer Hug, which I like to call the Herb Lawrence. 9.9% alcohol. Woo. Dangerously easy to drink or chug if you're a professional beer chugger like our guy Herb Lawrence. 312 Wheat Ale is the classic. And, of course, the Matt and Big Day favorite, the Full Pocket Pilsner. Mm. The everyday beer, it's what the brewers are drinking and what the, brew, and what the people who drink what the brewers are drinking are also drinking when they're not thinking. Figure that out. Yeah, put that down. That's right. First day of school. Go to class, kids. Ultra Fresh Goose Island Brew House is where you can grab you something really nice on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in West Town. It's the Goose Island Beer Company. It's Chicago's beer, the true taste of Chicago. One more time, Braggs. Ah, he wasn't ready. Gotcha right there. Thank you, Braggs. Uh, you know where else is a great location to grab some beers, goose or otherwise? What's that, sir? When you're on the road, you pop into your local Circle K. That's what you do? Yeah. My man. Another one of our friends and sponsors, Circle K. Check out your near Circle K location for the best coffees, beers, and snacks that they always have available for you. Plus... You're doing that while you're pumping up with their premium gas so you can get back on the road, carry out your road trip, carry on with your day. Uh, I like Slim Jims. Road trip snack. You know they always got Slim Jims in Circle K. Aren't you a combos guy? I do like combos as well. They always got combos at Circle K. They also have that sugar-free Red Bull if I need a little kick. Before I start to drink the beers that I buy at Circle K when I get to my location. (laughs) You are 65. as we know, kids, you shouldn't drink and drive. You should never. Um, Also, Circle K has this new app, guys. Have you heard about this? Tell me. They have their app that they are calling the Inner Circle. Get it? Circle K. Smart. Download the Circle K app to become a member of the Inner Circle. Membership to join the Inner Circle is free, and it comes with tons of perks. It's America's Thirst Stop. You save 25 cents per gallon on your first five fill-ups after downloading the app and becoming an Inner Circle member. Deal. Plus, whenever you're getting all those delicious drinks and all the delicious snacks Mm -hmm. on your way through Circle K, every sixth item of the uh, Circle K products that they have chosen that day, yeah. every sixth one is free. Wow. I'm talking the hot hot and ready pizza they have available. Talk slow. I'm talking coffee. Come on. I'm talking ice cold fountain drinks. Oh. Every sixth one free <laughs> yes. if you download the Circle K app and join the inner circle. So what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. Perks on perks on perks. <laughs> Drive through your near Circle K today. <laughs> Rolling along here at CHGO Bulls. Follow our guest, Terrence Oglesby, on Twitter for all of his great hoops thoughts at T underscore Oglesby 22. I like how Terrence's like, you guys are foolish. The one thing I'm happy about is, is your podcast is not, adver- they do not advocate for drinking and driving. 
No, like, no we, absolutely we no. Don't advocate for drinking. No, we do not advocate that, that nice at save. all. Nice save. Yeah, hey, guys, don't. No underage drinking. No drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. We do not you advocate stay safe. Things, Drinking so. and podcasting, however, <laughs> of age. Highly, like, yeah, for those of age, <laughs> yes. highly recommend. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we were just talking before that break a little bit, Terrence, about, like, the the ways in which Julian Phillips can get onto an NBA floor sooner rather than later and talking about his knockdown shooting, which you do have faith in, and his versatility on the defensive side. Bulls fans, I think, were a little bit frustrated this past season when we saw their first-round pick, Daylon Terry, barely get into Billy Donovan's rotation at all. Mm-hmm. Only when the team was shorthanded or in the garbage-time minutes of a game that had long been decided did we really see Daylon Terry. And that was the middle of a first-round pick guy. Bulls fans maybe are now skeptical that with Julian Phillips being a second-round pick and Billy Donovan leaning heavily on big minutes for his veterans, for a team that is trying to win and trying to be competitive now, the development of the younger guys on the roster, whether it be Dalen uh, Terry or now entering in Julian Phillips, is sort of second fiddle on Billy Donovan's priority list. Mm. How do you see Julian Phillips fitting into Billy's rotation if at all, his rookie year. You know what? That's tough. And you look at the roster, there's so many guys, right? Kind of in that, you know, six, seven, six, eight range that you have to be able to have on the floor. So, I mean, I guess having this many bodies is certainly a positive thing. That being said, Julian's a little bit taller than a lot of what you have. I mean, Torrey Craig, excellent defender, 32 years old. Is he really going to turn the table for you and, and really move things forward? He's an excellent piece. Uh, could Julian be more than that? That's that's the question that you have to ask. Uh, to talk about Dalen Terry, I would wonder, you know, how is Kobe White? He's been effective. How much has that hampered that Dalen's de- development? There's a Dalen. It's Dalen. Gosh, Dalen. What's you wrong got with it. me? You got it. That all being that all being said, I mean, there's just a lot of pieces in the way, and then they then they sign Javon Carter, who's like we said off air, JYD, junkyard dog. So they needed some toughness at that position. Is Terry going to be able to be that guy? But what does Terry not do? He doesn't shoot it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of where the the difference is for me. I, I, I'm telling you guys, I'm not sure what Julian shot from the three at Summer League, but I know he hit four or five threes in one game. That's part where I think it's going to surprise people and he's going to be able to open up the floor a little bit more. Is he going to play right away? I don't know. I mean, he's 19 years old. What 19-year-old is ready to jump out and guard Paul George right away? Mm -hmm. There's not many. That all being said, the physical prerequisites that you need coming in, that's where he could certainly help, especially when you have a Chicago Bulls team with guys that can really guard. I mean, what was Alex Caruso? He was first-team all-defense last Mm -hmm. year, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. multiple guys that can really defend – he jumps into that conversation just simply because you're not going to have to wait for him uh, to learn defensive rotations because he's going to be able to guard on the ball immediately and he's going to be very switchable immediately. That's where I could see him jumping in sooner rather than later. All of that being said, 19's 19. And some of these older guys, I mean, the patience wears thin, especially when they start creeping towards the end of their career. That's kind of where, hey, man, you better be ready to go right away. DeMar DeRozan says, I'm 34 years old. I need somebody who can help right now. I don't have that kind of patience. And let's be honest, Chicago has the talent to be in the playoffs. They have enough guys to be in the playoffs. They just haven't done it uh, to the level of what a lot of Chicago Bulls fans are expecting. Yeah. Let me ask you, um, there's there's one player who's definitely been polarizing here in in Chicago, and that's Patrick Williams. Um, 
can you talk about what you saw in Patrick Williams, especially in college? And are you a little surprised at his progression here? Or do you feel he's kind of right on point as where he needs to be as far as his progression is concerned? You know what? Like, it's one of those things where I loved him as a college player because he provided that switchability. He's bigger than Julian. I mean, bigger shoulders, bigger body in general, just a bigger dude. Uh, I'm trying to pull up his stats, but guys, I'm going to be honest with you. The NBA makes it so difficult on their websites to just casually pull up that stuff that it gets a little irritating. All of that being said, uh, I could see where he's polarizing because offensively, it looks like you're going to get more. There's a couple of guys in college basketball right now where it's like, man, I just feel like I should be getting more out of this guy. And I, I think Williams could fit into that. However, I mean, he's still young too, guys, but you're averaging 10 points and four boards. There's something to be said there. And it's not easy to average double figures in the NBA. And if you're going to be a complimentary piece and still do that at 21 years old, uh, I'm not really – do you want your number four pick in a draft to be – you know, up around that 15 a game mark, sure. But I think sometimes uh, the the quality of shot that you're going to get as a third, potentially fourth option when you're on the floor, it's not going to be great. I like Patrick Ewings as a long-term player just simply because he's big, he's switchable, he's really physical on the perimeter, and he can guard multiple guys. And that's what it comes down to in the NBA. Positional versatility, defensive versatility, and can you shoot the three ball? And I feel like you, you do want more, but I, I, I'm a fan of Patrick Williams as a player. Mm. I'm super high on Pat. I'm also really high on Julian, just watching him in summer league. And obviously the tools are there. Like I agree with you. The shot is better than it was in college, but you mentioned something that I think Patrick also kind of struggles with at times, which is, you know, you have to like draw up plays for him to actually yep. shoot the ball. And sometimes you're just like, Patrick, shoot, you're, you're open. <laughs> you're huge. Like go to the basket. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder in just like your coaching or player development experience, what does it take to really like draw that out of a guy to where you're not just like banging your head against the wall, asking this guy to, you know, put the ball on the floor and get all the way to the rim or take an open jump shot when he's got it. Like, can you get to a point where guys like Julian and Patrick are like really actively looking for their shots, especially while playing alongside, like, like you're talking about alpha, you know, shot creators like Zach and Damar, or is it something, this is something that we kind of discuss a lot is like, does it have to be a situation where it's like the post Zach and Damar era where a guy like Patrick or Julian can really like blossom as a scorer? That, that, that's a loaded question, but I, I do Sorry. think, that, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I, I think a big thing too is whenever you get to that NBA player um, or, or that NBA level and that NBA defense, you have to know that you can beat the guy in front of you and you have to be able to recognize what's behind the first level of defense. And whenever you're able to do that, that's when you can really take off. If a player is not able to calm that, calm himself down long enough or to understand the rotation before it gets there, it's increasingly difficult to make anything happen. That's what makes these legends legends. Like Chris Paul doesn't see what's in front of him. Chris Paul sees the third rotation, right? Like uh, Kawhi Leonard, he's not going to attack the rim if help's sitting right there. Like guys who are able to see over the top and see that second level of defense, that third rotation of defense, those are the guys that can really take off and be effective scorers at the NBA level because they see everything happening before it occurs. I think Iman Shumpert was talking about LeBron, how he's how he's directing traffic. Like he's he's in a league of his own, obviously. But to be able to manipulate a defense – that's kind of what comes along with, hey, am I going to be an attack first mindset type of dude? 
because you can be an attack first mindset guy. It doesn't matter if there's a dude hanging out down there like a Steven Adams, who's just either not going to take you out of the air. He's just going to be a brick wall to where like it's tough to finish over those guys. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to see them coming before you do or one of two things are going to happen. You're going to finish a lot earlier in your early in your career and then you're going to get hurt and something's going to happen. Remind you of some point guards that we've talked about today. Mm. Like, is it going to be somebody like a John Morant who attacks, attacks, attacks? That dude's going to get taken out of the air and he's going to get really hurt. Now, he's had his share of off-the-court issues, and I'm a South Carolina guy, so it hurts me to say that. But, like, like he attacks the rim with reckless abandon, and he sees those guys, and he seeks them out as opposed to seeing those guys and understanding, like, hey, this might not be the lane for me to take. So to get back to your question, and I'm sorry if that was a roundabout way of seeing it, uh, of, of answering it, but to, to get guys to really stand out and to be uh, in an attack mindset, they have to understand the second and third step at the NBA level because NBA guys can get by that first, that first defender most of the time. It's what they do when that second defender comes over that allows them to be that next level type of dude and is Patrick Williams necessarily going to be that? I don't know. Is Julian Phillips going to be that? I don't know. Uh, but it comes with patience from the coaching staff and a lot of teaching, quite frankly. That's where the G League comes into effect for a lot of these guys. It really helps them. Uh, but they've needed Pat, Pat Williams to to play sooner rather than later. So he hasn't really had the chance to develop that because Levine's in there and DeMar DeRozan's in there and Caruso's aggressive. And and so it kind of, it, it kind of hampers that ability to, ve to develop that attack mindset. But all of that being said, you have to understand the rotations behind it in order to be that guy. I really, just before we get to the next one, I really appreciate that because I think it's very easy for us to sit here and say, Patrick, go to the basket. Mm -hmm. But like, there's so much more that goes into it. There's so much experience that, and, and just reps and, you know, understanding your role and how to fit alongside different guys that frankly, none of us can ever know. So yeah. I just from like a, a coach and a player development standpoint, I think that's really key. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun, like I played in a G league, like, could I shot fake and get by one guy? Sure. But damn it. <laughs> There's dudes down there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm 6'1", 6'2". Like, it, it was very difficult for me to hit that second gear, right? Like, yeah. and I was a good athlete, like 38-inch Max Vert. No big deal. I'm just going to throw that out there while we're okay, on the Okay, Dan. Okay, Dan, Okay, no big deal. I'm just going to throw that out. That's, but uh, I believe that's like, 36 inches better than mine. <laughs> okay. You're a phone book guy. You're a phone book guy. <laughs> and, and, for, and for people who don't know who what phone books are, because there's a lot of younger generation people, they used to come back about that thick mm -hmm. right there. About there. If you can mm -hmm. jump over that, you're pretty good. Uh, anyway, it's called the Sam Perkins. Yeah, they, <laughs> the Sam Perkins? <laughs> yes. Big Sam Perkins guy. I like that. Uh, yeah. No, but that, that second piece, like everybody can get by the first guy. It's a matter of how you react when the second guy comes. Could you dunk on that guy? Could you, can you get there quick enough to where his rotation's a half step late? Because if, if you can dunk on that guy and his rotation's a half step late, you're going to score. But if you can't get there before he's a half step late, like you're going to be put on the floor or it's an offensive foul or a turnover because the rotations are so good at the NBA level. This is all they do. Like, right. guys, this is all this is. Like, so it's, it's a very difficult thing to manage. And the really good ones, the, the Levines of the world, the DeRozans of the world, like it, they see more than just what's in front of them. Going back to Julian specifically, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, 
you uh, <laughs> you think that maybe the 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 weight and muscle of guys at the NBA level is maybe not quite as important as it used to be back in the day when guys were banging bodies more. If you've got the length and athleticism to beat guys or to stay in front of guys on either end of the floor, that that's what matters. Uh, and we you also are you know uh, speaking very highly of Julian's defensive switchability out of the gate, even as a young 19-year-old NBA rookie. Bulls fans know that Billy Donovan likes to play a lot of small ball. Like he did it in OKC, and he's doing it here in Chicago. Three-guard lineups, even four-guard lineups. We've seen him roll out Alex Caruso as the power forward. We've seen him roll out Derrick Jones Jr., who is now no longer with the club, as a backup five at times when he didn't want Andre Drummond out there instead. So... You know, Vooch and Drummond are both still here. Drummond picked up his option. That's your starting center and probably your backup center. But I see a lot of similarities in body type between Derrick Jones Jr. and Julian Phillips. Mm. They're tall. They've got length. They're more lanky than, than, you know, strong, big, traditional centers. Just how far do you think Billy Donovan might explore with where he uses Julian Phillips on the floor? Let's keep in mind he's a rookie. Let's keep in mind, Billy is slow to play rookies. And I love Billy Donovan. He recruited me at Florida, but it's not part of the story here. Uh, I, I think what his positional versatility is what really helps. And him being 6'8", maybe 6'8 and a half on a good day, or depending on how he did his hair that morning, like he's, <laughs> he's long and rangy enough. And guys, let's be honest. How many five men are stepping in and really posting up? It's the lowest percentage uh play in basketball right now at the NBA level. So how many guys are you really going to have to chest up and guard inside of six feet? There's not that many. What you have to be able to do is converge off the help side. You have to be able to close out quickly. And that's the reason I've I've kind of elaborated on why he uh, fits sooner rather than later. Uh, Just because of that defensive versatility, the ability to guard two through four. I don't think anybody can guard NBA ones. I'm just throwing that out there. Like that was, I I get sidetracked guys. So you guys are just gonna have to read me back in. But like (laughs) somebody asked me, it's like, you're going to have to play the point at the NBA level because you're six two. Can you stay in front of Derrick Rose? I was like, nobody can stay in front of Derrick Rose. That's a stupid question. (laughs) <laughs> so that, that all being Same said, like, I, I think he's switchable on the wings and I feel like he can do a lot of those things uh, sooner rather than later. And it, his willingness to embrace that role because he embraced that role at Tennessee when, quite frankly, guys, he was better than the role they allocated to him. Mm. Mm, that's real right there, man. So let me ask you about the G League real quick, because I, I argue with friends uh, about it. And it's important, you know, to NBA players because some some of my friends feel it's important, you know, to play at any level that you are. It's important to play and get better. And some feel you can only get sometimes there are certain players who get better just by actually being there and sitting on the bench and taking in absorbing what you have going on. Do you feel Julian Phillips is the kind of guy who you want to see playing in the G League or do you feel like he's ready to just sit and absorb what is going on on the floor at an NBA level? I think he's going to be willing to do whatever you want him to. Uh, th- that's one of the things that stuck out to me, and I, I elaborated about it at the beginning of the show, just somebody who's going to be super coachable, going to do exactly what he's asked. And where's the Windy City Bulls? It's right down the road, right? Yeah. What, I mean, what's the harm in getting this guy extra reps on a day off, right, to where some days he might play 8 to 12 minutes, and it's like, well, I, I worked out twice today, but it's like, well, what am I going to do 
I, I still have more juice in my legs. Send him down to Winnie City. Let him get a little, some extra reps. Have him attack some closeouts. Try to get to the rim a little bit more. Get to the free throw line and uh, uh, kind of observe that second line of defense that we talked about, right? So that's kind of, uh, it, it's hugely beneficial. And if you're an NBA guy and you're going down to the G League, those reps are going to you. Like, there's no, like, hey, this guy's been on fire the last three games. We're going to feed him the ball instead of you. No, that's not happening. If you go down, you're being featured, and you're being put in the same positions at that G League level that you're being put in at the NBA level. And I think that's hugely beneficial. Whenever I was in the G League, I played against Tim Hardaway Jr., and they didn't put him in unfamiliar positions. They put him in a lot of corner three situations, a lot of trail threes, and he was attacking closeouts. Very similar to what he does now and is getting paid so much money to do, right? So it's going to benefit anybody to be in that position. Uh, I, I don't. There's no downside in my mind to having anybody go down to the G League. It's just a matter of can you get enough reps at that top level, and if you can't, let the man hoop. Let him get down there. He will gladly take it, I'm sure. And But I, I think there's value in guys that can really defend on a night-to-night -night basis because, guys, there's 82 games. You're playing four and four in a week or three and five or something like that. You know, legs are going to be tired. And I think that the, the knowing that somebody can come in and defend, and that's not – you don't have to worry about that end of the floor, I think, is refreshing. And I think there's some comfort in that whenever you draft a player like a Julian Phillips, right? Mm. Sadly, we are just about out of time. Before can I, can we I get one more, sure, yeah, because yeah, you mentioned being recruited by Billy Donovan, and I think <laughs> we all need to know if you have any good stories from chatting with him or what his pitch to you was. What's the what's the inside scoop on Billy Donovan's recruiting process? Uh, uh, first of all, I love Billy because he was unbelievably honest, and they had a kid already committed named Donnie O'Mac, and who ended up going to Memphis. I think played with Derrick Rose at Memphis, now that we all say that. But uh, that was right on the heels of their uh, national championships with Joe Kim and Al, mm -hmm. Lee Humphrey, Corey Brewer, Torian Green, like some of these really, really good players. Mm -hmm. And this was after their first championship, I went down to elite camp. And this has less to do with Billy, but more to do with, hey, I'm just gonna let him be him. And that was the cool part about Billy. He let his guys be who they were. And the one I'm talking about is Joe Kim Noah, because we had a lot of high profile high school guys come into that camp and we were playing well. And Joe Kim was talking shit to everybody and not just the players, the mamas, the dad. <laughs> he was talking to everybody. This was a well, well oiled machine and they were playing pickup with their starting five against like our bunch. And Joe Kim just let everybody have it. Like it was it was really, really cool. And then Billy would just he wouldn't even react because he's like, this is what make, makes Joe Kim great. And this is what's going to make Joe Kim a lot of money. And I thought that was really, really cool. And how he was able to facilitate those relationships between these guys, uh, you know, 18 to 22, 23 years old. And obviously being able to be the head coach of the Thunder and being able to be the head coach of the Bulls, he's been able to continue that kind of, I'm going to let my guys be them and I'm going to work around what they do great. And that's why he's had success at where he's at.
Love it. Mm. Classic, awesome. Classic Joe Keem, classic Billy. Yeah, yes. those, those are, that sounds uh, exactly like Joe. Yes. Um, so, Matt, yeah. I'm jumping in for a second. Because Ter- I got to ask Terrence a question. I was oh. actually going to set you up yeah. because I got an idea where you're going. Where I'm, am I going? You're going to college, ain't you? I'm going college. Yeah, That's I know right. you were going. I was going to set guy, you up. I was going to set Go Terrence, ahead, Terrence, I definitely enjoy your coverage. I'm, I'm a Big Ten guy, Purdue guy. Uh, follow the Boilermakers a lot. And I'm definitely curious from your perspective – now that you've had a couple of years to digest the NIL and transfer portal and kind of how it was the wild, wild west, it felt like in that first year, and now it's starting to settle in. I, I do feel like it's it's for the better for college and the NBA. Where is your perspective at with everything and how it's laid out? You know, I, it's fine. Like, here's my thing, and I had this argument. I had, I had a well-known person who I'm not going to say his name because I'm about to speak a little poorly of him, but he called me whenever I bashed a team. He's like, well, they have all kinds of NIL problems and all this, that, and a third. I was like, everybody has that now. Like, this is not a problem specific to this team. Now, what what I think you're seeing is, is the really good coaches who are really good X's and O coaches who are really good. I think it's even the playing field for them, the guys who don't love to recruit, because now it's a negotiation. It's not necessarily like we have really cool locker rooms. Uh, so it's kind of gone by the wayside there. Uh, to me, it's just a non, it's just part of the game now. And there's been a lot of teams that have done NIL for a long time, longer than when it was legal. So I, I think sure. what's happened is a lot of those teams that you're seeing that have been really good, uh, the first hundred years of the NCAA over the past five or six have started to struggle. And it's because there's not such a clear cut, um, there's not such a clear cut favoritism to, Hey, you need to go to this school. You need to go to that school. Now the portal opens it up. And if it sucks at one spot and you're not nice to that kid, he's gone. He's going to go find another spot. That's pretty good. So now I I think all that's good where I think it stinks is where you see guys enter the portal just as a negotiation piece. Mm. Like that part stinks. And I think the one kind of thing that you could tinker with to change it a little bit. And this is just me spitballing because I haven't really put that much thought into it. If you just change the wording to pay for play, then you can put contracts involved. Mm. Then, then it becomes a different story to where you're not just signing a kid for one year. Hey man, this is a three year deal. You're going to get your education for three years. And then if you want to leave, have at it, but you're going to be with us because three years, kids go to summer school, they're graduating in three years. So if you change those words to pay for play, then it opens the floodgates to where contracts work. Guys are no longer screwed because there's a big 10 team and I'm not going to name names, but there's a big 10 team that are promising a million dollars for a player and guys are getting like 75 grand. Mm, wow, That's happening. And it's happening with consistency. So kids are, it sounds all great in theory, but kids are getting screwed because there is no pay for play. There is no contract. It's just a bunch of collectives running around with the wild west. So there's some things I think need to be changed. All of that being said, I I think it's good that guys are starting to get paid a little bit of money. And quite frankly, guys, I'm really freaking jealous. (laughs) As you should be. Uh, Terrence, it's been awesome. Not only getting your insight into Julian Phillips, but just picking your basketball mind. Everybody, hanging out with us, watching along in the comments today, uh, echoing those same sentiments. Loved having you on our show today. If they want to hear more of you, and it sounds like a lot of our viewers want to hear more of you and more of your hoops thoughts, tell us really quickly where they can find you in your Field of 68 crew, and then also where they can find you calling some college hoops action this upcoming season. 
You can find me every CHGO Bulls podcast from here on out. No, I'm Talk just to him. Uh, Talk to him. No, let's go. No, hey, look, guys, thank you for having me. No, on Twitter, at T underscore Oglesby 22. I'm with the Field of 68. I'll be working some with ESPN Fox. I'm all over the place. I'm doing a podcast tomorrow with uh, Tate Frazier on One Shining Podcast, talking college basketball in top 25. So that'll be fun as well. I'm all over the map. But if you want to know where I'm at, follow me on Twitter, T underscore Oglesby 22. Gentlemen, I appreciate you you having me i don't get to talk nba that often besides draft day so i appreciate it, it was a lot of fun just a keep fun jeff Go- just keep jeff goodman in line please <laughs> hey there's no keeping jeff goodman in line i'm a long yeah i don't ride. think anybody does that no hey look like final four like he's arguing with people I, I, i'm along for the ride and i'm just like hey whatever happens happens <laughs> yeah good luck with that uh thank you again for coming on terrence it's been awesome yeah. uh follow terrence on twitter at t underscore oglesby 22 uh we will see y'all tomorrow same time same place 4 p.m central time until then wills will underscore golly big day bow bwl sports on bulls underscore peck mm-hmm. shout out and thanks to our pal producer brags on the controls today and one more big round of applause for terrence joining us today on the pod. appreciate you man bulls fans appreciate you and your insights today Tim we'll have breeze. you back sometime soon absolutely until then take it easy man and bulls fans out there take it easy see red be good we'll talk to you tomorrow peace